and welcome back to Regionally Speaking. I'm your host, Dee Dodson. Indiana's Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch serves as the president of the Indiana Senate, which oversees a portfolio that includes the Indiana Housing and Community Development Authority, as well as the Office of Community and Rural Affairs. Lieutenant Governor Crouch also chairs four agencies, including the Indiana Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities Task Force. Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch has been touring the state, meeting with business leaders who employ Hoosiers with disabilities, including those with autism. And just recently, Lieutenant Governor Crouch and the Indiana Housing and Community Development Authority announced the launch of the Indiana Housing Dashboard 2.0, a database that includes a statewide inventory of housing in Indiana. Joining us now is Indiana's 52nd Lieutenant Governor, Suzanne Crouch, to share the latest from her office, including the newly expanded 988 Crisis Lifeline, which serves as a go-to resource for Hoosiers that are in crisis. Lieutenant Governor Crouch, thank you for joining us on Lakeshore Public Media. Oh my goodness, it's wonderful to be with you. You know that I love Lake County because you all are on Central Time, just like my home county of Vanderbilt. Great, great. So, Lieutenant Governor Crouch, you chair the Indiana Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities Task Force. And in the last few weeks, you have been meeting with business leaders across the state that serve Hoosiers with developmental and intellectual disabilities. And as a matter of fact, you'll actually be in the region next week for the Opportunity Enterprises Lakeside Respite Ribbon Cutting. And it's a project that we have all been so excited for right here in Northwest Indiana. So as you've traveled across the state, meeting and speaking with people who not only serve Hoosiers with intellectual and developmental disabilities, that, but also those that can offer employment opportunities, what have you learned along the way? Well, you know, I'm very passionate um, about helping those that have intellectual developmental disabilities, and those would be Hoosiers that have autism, Down syndrome, or cerebral palsy. We have about 160,000 of those Hoosiers in Indiana. And I, I tell you, Dee, I became passionate not because I have any family members that have a disability, but because when I was a county commissioner down in Vandenberg County, I was appointed to serve on the ARC, local ARC board, and that board, that organization is dedicated to helping those Hoosiers with disabilities. And I just was, became so impressed with not just those Hoosiers, but with the people that care for them that I have become an advocate. And as Lieutenant Governor, I chair the Intellectual and Developmental Disability Task Force. So we work through that task force to enable them to have safe, accessible, affordable environments. And one of the things that we really try to focus on is how can we provide more opportunities in employment for those Hoosiers with disabilities? And I say that our friends with disabilities are really just friends with different abilities. Uh, they have the same hopes and dreams and desires as each and every one of us. They want to have a job and have friends and love and be loved and be successful in life. And it starts with having a job. And so we have 136,000 jobs that are unfilled here in Indiana. And I know, do you see those help wanted signs all over Lake County? Mm -hmm. We have 160,000 Hoosiers with uh, intellectual and developmental disability, and they have an 80% unemployment rate. So if we wow. can get those Hoosiers employment, not only will they have more meaningful lives, but we help 
address that workforce shortage issue that we have all over Indiana. And so the General Assembly this past session passed a bill that really helps to get those Hoosiers into the workforce. And so what I have been doing is I've been visiting employers around Indiana who have programs to allow those Hoosiers with disabilities uh, employment. And, you know, we have been in South Bend. We're going to be um, uh, in Noblesville here in a little bit. We've been in, um, in Princeton, Indiana, down by Evansville. And so truly, we are trying to put a focus on those employers and let employers know that we have Hoosiers out there. We just need to find the right jobs for them and get them the right training. But that's true for all of us, Dee. Yes. I mean, we all got to find the right jobs and we all have to have training to be able to do them. So we're hoping that by visiting these employers and you helping to put attention on that and put a spotlight on that, we will be able to get more Hoosiers into the workforce uh, and help our employers who are struggling to find those workers. Now, Lieutenant Governor Crouch, uh, families of autistic children want Governor Holcomb to halt a proposal that will essentially reduce access to applied behavioral analysis therapy for Medicaid members. Therapy, you agree, is essential and can be life-changing for children and their families. Now, the proposal will reduce the reimbursement rate by almost 50 percent, well below providers' costs. So why did you author a letter to the Indiana Family and Social Services Administration Secretary, and how would your office like to see the issue resolved? Well, I actually sent a letter to the Family and Social Services Administration as chair of the Intellectual and Developmental Disability Task Force, urging them to take the time to be able to come up with an appropriate rate for those those providers that are providing the ABA therapy to Hoosiers that really, really need them. And, and I have visited a number of applied behavioral applications, you know, those companies that are providing and those providers that are providing that service. Uh, what the FSSA has proposed is they have increased the amount of reimbursement that they originally proposed. So they currently are suggesting a $68 an hour a reimbursement rate. And, and it is important that we do have a reimbursement rate because before this, we had rates all over the board. So I don't think anyone would argue that we shouldn't have a kind of standard rate, reimbursement rate. But what we want to be sure is that we aren't driving providers out of business because we have waiting lists at most of the providers. And so we don't have enough providers to get the services to Hoosiers. So it's finding that balance between the right amount of reimbursement rate to be able to get that help to those Hoosiers, but being able to come up with the standard rate so that we aren't, you know, we don't have rates all over the board. So we will be having our Intellectual and Developmental Disability Task Force meeting on September 27th. And I would expect for an hour beforehand, we will be having public comment. And we will are expecting to hear from providers at that time about what they're struggling with and, you know, um, what their suggestions are in terms of the terms of the rates moving forward. So we will be continue to be engaged in that issue. Lieutenant Governor Crouch, so you are the secretary of 
Indiana Agriculture and Rural Development. The IHCDA launched the Indiana Housing Dashboard 2.0, an updated dashboard to assist communities with a view of housing inventory. Now, the dashboard, which I've had an opportunity to check out, is pretty intuitive and shares great information, including rental affordability, housing supply, as well as population, just to name a few of the bells and whistles with this updated dashboard. The latest version was designed to help leaders complete housing needs assessments. Talk about how housing plays a role in our economic development for the Hoosier State. Oh my goodness, absolutely. Well, Indiana has been a leader. We're actually number one in the Midwest. We're sixth in the nation for our business environment. And we keep creating more jobs here in Indiana. But as we create jobs, we need to have housing for those people that we're needing for those jobs. And the other thing we want to note is that Indiana, unlike any of our neighboring states in the Midwest, we've grown our population by 300,000 over the past 10 years. So We continue to grow our population. We continue to grow our jobs. We have to have housing for people to live in or we're not going to be able to continue to expand our economy. So housing is extremely important. And the General Assembly appropriated another $500 million for the READY grants. That's on top of the $500 million that they appropriated in 2021. Mm. And the number one request for funding throughout the different regions was housing. And so we continue to look through the housing agency of how can we provide tax credits for housing developments that will get those services and those and that in the safe havens to those populations that really need it. So we focus on the elderly. We focus on housing for Hoosiers with disabilities. Uh, We have focused on housing for mothers or women that are pregnant that are addicted to drugs where they can have wraparound services and deliver healthy babies. Uh, And so homeless veterans, we have done housing development programs for for homeless veterans. So housing is a critical, critical part of economic development. But through our housing agency, we look at how are, can we help those populations that maybe need those wraparound services to be able to be successful? Uh, housing is one part, but when you have vulnerable populations, uh, you need to be sure that you also have the wraparound services so that those Hoosiers not only have the housing, but they can stay independent in that housing. Lieutenant Governor Crouch, so I want to pivot to another topic of interest for just a moment. So September is National Suicide Prevention and Awareness Month, and you have shared that you lost a sister who sadly successfully completed suicide. A recent story filed by our Indiana Public Broadcasting member station notes Indiana leads the country in 988 crisis hotline calls answered in state. Indiana's five call centers average nearly 4,000 calls a month from Hoosiers in crisis. And the average response time is nine to 10 seconds. That is amazing. And again, more than 90% of the calls from people in Indiana are answered in state. So when we spoke a few months ago, we spent a lot of time discussing the work that had been done at the State House for the 2023 legislative session and 
particularly for mental health, including the $100 million or $50 million for each of the next two fiscal years to expand the 988 crisis line. And that's something I know that you're just so proud of. So it appears that the 988 crisis line is the go-to resource for Hoosiers in crisis. Would you agree? Well, that's what we hope. And we hope that people, just like over the years, they've learned that 911 is the number they call when they have an emergency. Now, today, they can call 988 when they have a behavioral health crisis, or they have even a question, or they they know a loved one that's struggling and they want to know how to get them help, or they themselves are contemplating suicide. They can call now today, 988, and they can be connected to a professional who will then connect them with services so that they can get the help they need. But that funding also provided for mobile crisis response teams so that if someone is in crisis, we can get help to them right away. So absolutely, we got to, but we have to educate people. And that's why you're covering it, Dee, is so important because you are helping to educate the people that there is a number now that they can call uh, because we want people to know that if they are in crisis or if they have a loved one that's struggling, they can call 988 and get assistance. And as you mentioned, Indiana is really one of the top states in terms of the amount of calls that we get, but then our response to those calls. Uh, And so we're going to continue to do the work because we just have too many Hoosiers that are struggling. Uh, You know, since COVID, we've seen a 20% increase in anxiety and depression among our population as a whole, but we've seen 60% among young people. And in the last six months, one out of seven high school boys, one out of four high school girls have contemplated suicide. Suicide is the 11th leading cause of death for Americans. But it is the second leading cause of death for young people, and that's the future of Indiana. So being able to get the word out on 988, call if you're having a crisis, call if you have a question, call if you have a loved one that is struggling uh, so that we can get help to you. Now, before I let you go, Lieutenant Governor Crouch, uh, when we spoke in July, we remarked on the fact that you launched your bid to be the next governor of the Hoosier State late last year. And should you win the Republican nomination, you would be the very first woman to hold that title. But I want to talk to you for a moment about your approach to appeal to the voters in the Hoosier State. There was a recent opinion piece written about all of the candidates in a recent Holly Politics Indiana publication. And it talks about the crowded Republican gubernatorial field of candidates, most of whom are self-funding their campaigns. You, on the other hand, have taken a different approach, speaking directly to the voters about the issues. So my question to you is, why did you choose this route? And, And to that point... How are Hoosiers responding to this approach? Well, thank you, Dee. I'm not a self-funder, and I'm running against uh, opponents that are self-funders. In fact, I told my husband, I said, you know, honey, if I'd known 45 years ago when we got married that one day I was going to run for governor, I might have held out for someone with more money. (laughs) When I I told him that, Mm -hmm. he said he would have held out for someone with more money, too. So... You know, (laughs) the fact of the matter is, is that I'm not a self-funder, so I have to depend upon other people 
to invest in me and 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 mm-hmm. talk to them about why I would be a good investment for them in the state of Indiana. And so I am raising money, but it's from Hoosiers. It's not checks I'm writing to myself and to my campaign. But what I focus on is I focus on grassroots. I focus on making connections with people. I focus on traveling the states, listening to Hoosiers. And I will tell you, Dee, Hoosiers are being crushed by the high cost of living and by inflation. And it's why I propose that as governor, we, I will lead the fight to eliminate Indiana's income tax, putting thousands of dollars back into the pockets of Hoosiers every single day. And there are people that will scream bloody murder and say we can't do it, but we can. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be easy. We're going to have to limit government growth. We're going to have to end wasteful government spending. We're going to have to find deficiencies in government. But when we do, Hoosiers will benefit and our economy will prosper. Indiana is not in bad shape. Today, we are ranked by the Tax Foundation as ninth in the country for our overall tax environment. But seven of the eight states ahead of Indiana either have no sales or income tax. So we eliminate our income tax. We not only are going to compete with other states, we're going to lead other states. And that is what we want to do. We want to be able to put money back into the pockets of Hoosiers because you know what? They will always spend their money more wisely than the government. And on that note, I guess we will leave it there. It's always it's always great having you join us here on Lakeshore Public Media, speaking directly to Hoosiers right here in Northwest Indiana, sharing the latest news from your office. So again, thank you for joining us on Reasonably Speaking. And I'm sure a lot of us look forward to meeting you when you come to the region next week, meeting with business leaders and speaking directly to issues regarding Hoosiers with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Thank you. I can't wait. You're listening to Regionally Speaking on Lakeshore Public Media. The groundbreaking 2023 Indiana Girl Report was recently released. The first of its kind collaboration between the Indiana Youth Institute the Girl Scouts, and the Girl Coalition of Indiana. The cooperation, shared purpose, and data reports are part of an innovative joint effort to increase the well-being of Hoosier girls. Joining us now to highlight some of the findings is Tammy Silverman, President and CEO of the Indiana Youth Institute. Tammy, as always, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. It is great to be back with you, Dee. Tammy, so this month, the 2023 Indiana Girl Report was released. And as I shared in my opening, it's a collaboration between several youth-serving organizations. And I'm really interested in digging into this report and sharing some of its findings with our listening audience. But before we do that, tell us a bit more about the organizations that are a part of this collaboration as well as the purpose of this deep dive into how girls are faring in the Hoosier State. Well, I'm so glad you asked, Steve, because this, the Indiana Girl Report, which the 2023 is the first one, we're going to do it for the next few years, and so this is the first of what we hope will be a long-standing precedent, is actually something that the Girl Scouts and several Girl Scout councils across the state, so it covers the entirety of the state of Indiana, little bit of Illinois, a little bit of Ohio, a little bit of Kentucky. In fact, they were the ones that said, came to IYI and said, can you help us understand 
the realities that girls are facing. And so they really wanted to take this data and, and form a foundation for them to better understand what are those big issues affecting the quality of life for girls across our state. So, you know, we leaned in and we worked for about six, seven months putting this together with them, talking about what are those data points that currently exist, how do, how, you know, what is it telling us, and also talking about how do we set this up so that then each of these um, entities, as well as the Girl Coalition of Indiana, which is a new startup that they're forming, can, can use this information, most importantly, to go out to their communities and have conversations about topics such as mental health, teen dating violence, gender bias, bullying, all of those kinds of things. So as you shared, the Indiana Girl Report is the first of its kind. So how are our girls? What are some of the key findings um, that are in this report? You know, we've we've found a lot of things, first of all. And some of them we kind of knew, but it's good to look at the data again. Um, when it comes to bullying, girls in Indiana are more than twice as likely as boys to become victims, both of that traditional bullying, and they're also three times more likely to be victims of cyberbullying. And we know that there's a connection between bullying, whether it's in-person or, or using cyberbullying technology. That also aligns with several um, issues of anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, those kinds of things. So that's a big one. Um, the rate of physical and sexual dating violence has increased um, amongst girls while it's decreased with boys. And so that's another important thing to be thinking about. When we talk about some of those ramifications, we also know um, that girls were admitted for hospital inpatient care more than three times the rate of boys. So again, there's a ton of takeaways and a ton of um you know, really these hard facts that, that force us to kind of have those deeper conversations to say, what does this look like in our community? What do we want to do about this? And who do we need to bring together to make sure that we can affect the most impactful change? I was going to ask you, you know, I wanted to point out that September is, in fact, National Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. And the report discusses in great detail, I might add, the connection between the cyberbullying, the bullying in school with girls having suicide ideation. And so that was a sad fact for me to uncover in this report. It is. It is. And there's a lot of tough information. And at the same time, you know, we really believe that that having the facts in front of you equips you to have more detailed and more action-oriented conversations. So, you know, um, we need to know what's really going on with our kids, and in this case, specifically our girls, in order to talk about what do we want to do? What else do we need to be doing? Are we spending our time and attention in the right areas? Now, your latest column, you share something that struck a chord for me, and it's essentially that you you urge us to take this micro view of girls and to put ourselves into the shoes of all girls across the Hoosier State, not just the girls that are within our reach, within our community, within our family, et cetera, et cetera. And you share it in, in your latest column, I quote, it is important that we start with a lens that reflects the entirety of girls across our state. So how can we support girls across the Hoosier State? Yes, and I, I'm glad that that resonated because that's so important. You know, again, it's, it's really leading into the data and understanding that, of course, we hopefully many of us hold uh, several girls near and dear. I'm I'm the mother of a daughter and I'm an aunt and a 
great aunt and all of these kinds of things. And I've, I've done a lot of activities for those girls, but those are just the girls closest to me. So looking at the data, really thinking about what girls don't I understand? What groups of subsets don't I know? And maybe that's um, girls that have young girls that have disabilities. Maybe it's young girls that identify as LGBTQ+. Maybe it's girls that are living in a different, that have, that are in a different socioeconomic class than I might be, you know, and so making sure that we are thinking about all young, in this case, all young women, and, and that will give us the better opportunity again, and it'll give us, set us up to be able to help all of them reach their full potential. That's great. And it was a chin check for me because, you know, you look at the world from your lens and, and sometimes all of the time your lens isn't an accurate view of how everyone receives, how everyone interacts, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm glad that you put that in there. That, that stood out the most for me in, in the, your latest column. Wonderful. Now, well, and we all have those topics that we maybe lean in on, you know, and it's always a good reminder for me, I've done a lot of work in the homelessness space and, and prevention of homelessness for young folks, but maybe I don't know as much about college completion or hunger or any of those other issues. So so to get that whole well-rounded picture, it's important that we look at the entirety. There, It's a whole child. It's a whole group of kids in our state. Now, Tammy, I've spent some time highlighting some of the troubling findings, but the report also details some positive news as well. And you kind of touched on this earlier. Tell us about how Hoosier girls are making strides in the classroom. Yes, you know, there there is a lot of good information out there that talks about how some of our young girls are doing better, in fact, on traditional tests, in attendance levels, in graduation rates, in college going rates. And so, Again, those are those are all great findings that we need to dive into a little bit. Again, this is this is foundational information. We hope it's the start, but not the end, certainly of these discussions. And again, Tammy, I mean, you do so well in sharing all of the details of of your columns. And you shared this a little bit earlier, but I'm going to ask you again about next steps. You know, last month we spoke in great detail about your column for that month in which you encouraged collaboration among youth serving organizations. Talk a bit more about the plans to use the data that was collected to help improve Hoosier Girls well-being across the entire state. Yes, I mean, this is one of those examples of deep collaboration. And so the report, the Indiana Girl Report, is intended to be that resource for not only youth-serving organizations and youth workers, but also policymakers, educators, any of those folks that are making rules and policies and parameters that, that affect the lives, in this case, again, of, of girls across our state. So it's intended to be that resource. It's intended to be informative for them to inform their policymaking. It's also intended to be that conversation starter. So again, when we bring folks together, we can adequately and in a fact-based way address the challenges that girls are facing, such as poverty, access to affordable housing and health care, you know, educational opportunities and gender-based violence. Finally, Tammy, where can our listeners go to find the 2023 Indiana Girl Report? It is at IYI.org, as are all of our resources. You can click on there, and it's right on our homepage. You can also go the Girl Coalition of Indiana also has a website, and it's available there as well. Tammy Silverman is the president and CEO of the Indiana Youth Institute. 
Tammy, again, it's always enlightening to have you join us on Regionally Speaking because you share so much information to help us all learn how to better support Indiana youth. Again, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking, and we look forward to having you back with us next month. As always, it's my pleasure, Dave. To view the 2023 Indiana Girl Report, you can visit www.iyi.org. You're listening to Regionally Speaking on listener-supported Lakeshore Public Media. It's time to take a look at what will be the 70th season of the Sinai Forum at Purdue University Northwest. For seven decades, the Purdue University Northwest Sinai Forum has provided an avenue of reflection, intellectualism, imagination, and adventure to invigorate a thirst for knowledge and help bring answers to life's biggest questions. Joining us now to talk about some of the guests for the upcoming speaker series is Leslie Plezak, the Executive Director of the Sinai Forum. Leslie, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Oh, it's always my pleasure to be here, Dee. It's great to be with you. And we are excited about celebrating 70 years of Sinai Forum. It's been around in our community for that long, and we're really lucky to have this amazing program. Leslie, so as Executive Director of the Sinai Forum, you, along with your team, have planned what I'm sure will be another stellar speaker series with the 70th season of the Sinai Forum. Now, before we dig into some of the guests that will make an appearance here in Northwest Indiana, for those that may be unfamiliar, take a moment to share what the Sinai Forum is, including its mission. Yeah, so the mission of Sinai Forum is to bring people together in what we call a town hall format, so really an opportunity to be in conversation with some of the greatest thought leaders. And, and we've been doing it that way for 70 years. Um, it was founded in Michigan City in the Sinai Temple by Sylvia Bankoff and her husband, Dr. Milton Bankoff, the rabbi at the time, Carl Richter and a group of citizens who really felt that it was important to discuss what was going on in the world. And when you look back at the 70 years of Sinai Forum, there's been some really, really amazing guests, including Eleanor Roosevelt um, in the second season. Um, from what I've heard, uh, Sylvia Bankoff picked her up at the train station in Michigan City and had her over for dinner oh, and wow. went to the forum the next day. And I, I think about that. I would not want to be responsible for feeding people or <laughs> driving people <laughs> changed a little bit in the 70 years. But what hasn't changed is the fact that um, we have a small, intimate venue. Um, our cost for attending the six programs is very reasonable. And students, both high school and college students since day one, have been invited to attend the forum free of charge. So it's really just to bring people together to learn to be engaged, to consider what you think, but also to hear what other people think. And I think you and I would both agree that we need more of that these days to really listen to people who think differently than we do. And that leads me to, to my next question. So the Sinai Forum has played host to everyone from Nobel Prize recipients to former heads of state, including, of course, Eleanor Roosevelt, Pulitzer Prize winners to professional athletes, scientists, nationally recognized media personalities, and famous performing artists. And it offers a variety of, of topics, disciplines, and interests. 
And it's important to note that what makes the forum unique, at least for me, again, as you just shared, that opportunity, that town hall like setting. So that opportunity for dialogue, you know, typically when we go and we see some of the famous speakers as the ones that you will play host to, it's usually the speaker does a great speech, but there is not that opportunity for that that dialogue with this town hall setting. So you kind of alluded to it, but can you spend a few moments sharing how being a nonpartisan organization, the I form that is help foster dialogue um, and how that lands for both understanding as well as mutual respect. So, like you said, we are nonpartisan. It's interesting because historically, people who come to Sinai Forum are interested often in politics and world affairs. And of course, we do cover both of those topics. I think those always rank number one and two for interest among our subscribers, but we also do a number of different topics. And like you said, the point is to learn something. So I think back to a couple of my favorites, Brian Stevenson, for example, Brian Stevenson runs the Equal Justice Initiative, um, fights for for wrongful conviction. um, And he has argued before the Supreme Court for people who have been wrongfully convicted. He spoke in 2021 Um, There were people that hadn't heard of Brian Stevenson's work. He's the author of the book, Just Mercy, that was turned into a movie. And my very favorite thing as executive director is when people leave a program, we do a post-program reception with cookies and coffee, and there's buzz in the atrium at the Dworkin Center on the Westville campus with people talking about what they learned. So another example of that is um, the National Geographic photographer, Paul Nicklin. Um, he he alluded to climate change, but talked about it through capturing photos through the lens of his camera. And he was a lot of fun on stage. He shared some never seen video with us um, from covering uh, whales. He he goes to the what he said is some of the most remote parts of the world. And the reason he's good, he said, is because he can withstand being in the cold longer than anyone else. But <laughs> just getting to know people who. We wouldn't know otherwise. Um, you know, some people who are super accomplished in their fields and other people who are finding their way to accomplishment. Uh, someone who comes to mind is Liz Murray. Liz Murray was one of my favorites. Liz Murray um, is known for a book that she wrote called Homeless to Harvard. And she was raised by parents who were addicted to drugs and she was found herself homeless in her teens and told the story of getting accepted to Harvard. And what I remember her saying is that she didn't know that she shouldn't apply to Harvard, and she did, and she got in. And now Liz Murray runs a nonprofit organization in New York for underserved youth. So there's inspiration. Like you said, there are people who are super accomplished in their fields. And the beauty of it is that if we are open-minded and we listen to other viewpoints, my personal feeling is that we're more alike than we are different. And Sinai Forum, to its credit, um, assembles a group of people who are um, always respectful to our speakers. You can pose a question or be in opposition of someone's thinking, but you can present your idea or your question with kindness um, and with mutual respect. And so that's really what we try to do as a university at Purdue Northwest. Um, in discourse and learning, but also at the Sinai Forum. So that's really what it's about. And um, it's one of my favorite things when we can bring people who think differently together um, and have a conversation. When we hosted, um, uh, I'm trying to think, General John Kelly talked about being in an era where if you think differently than I do, then I hate you. 
And I think wow. we need to get away from that. We need to learn from each other. Again, Leslie, the Sinai Forum provides, as we've shared in our conversation so far, a unique opportunity to hear from notable personalities from around the Mm -hmm. globe, right? Share what the Sinai Forum means to the region to have that caliber of speakers here in the region. Yeah, in my eight years as executive director, I really realized that we are presenting a series that is very typical of those that are being offered in much larger cities. Right. Um, when we announced our season in 2023, I got a call from a woman who runs a speaker series in Palm Springs, California, and she was very intrigued by one of the programs that we're going to present this year. And I was really flattered because she said, how did you come up with the idea? And I kind of shared with her how we got to that place. And yeah, we are very lucky in Northwest Indiana to, for 70 years, um, continue to bring you know, amazing thought leaders into our community and an opportunity to meet people face to face. And and I can honestly say that in, in the years that I've been doing it, I can't think of one speaker who hasn't been, you know, willing to chat with our subscribers. Um, we do a patron reception. It's a level of ticket where someone is purchases the opportunity to come to a pre-reception with the speaker. And it really is a unique opportunity that, you know, over the years is becoming um, more and more challenging to put together because of the cost of speakers, the cost of doing business, the cost of producing the programs. And I really want people to know that we need them to support Sinai Forum in order to keep doing this for another 70 years. Now, the series kicks off Sunday, September 17th with former Purdue University president and two-term Indiana Governor Mitch Daniels. He has a lot of experience from politics to academia, but what will he speak about as the opening speaker? Yeah, so we had the good fortune to do a call yesterday morning with Mitch Daniels and talk about content. Okay. And what we talked about was that we would like him to share um, his experience, his insights, his expertise, both in higher education, what he sees, what he's done as the past president of Purdue, um, and where he thinks, you know, higher ed is going. And then, of course, you know, with his background in politics, I'm sure there will be some discussion um, about his perspective. He um, stressed with us that as president of Purdue, he has been in a nonpartisan position for many years. And I think that's the the position that he'll take when he takes the stage at Sinai Forum. And he said to us that, you know, he knows he'll receive questions and potential, um, you know, uh, challenge from our audience. And he said, all questions are fair game. So, oh, you know, wow. Mitch Daniels has been an important figure in our um, state and uh, within the Purdue structure and really nationally when you think about it, um, both politically and in higher education. And so it's an opportunity to come together with him and, you know, again, join in dialogue about where we're going. And I think he'll probably get some questions about, you know, the upcoming election and those sorts of things. Now, Leslie, as I continue to look at the list of the 2023 Purdue Northwest Sinai Forum, this season, again, is jam-packed with topics ranging from politics to journalism, global affairs to mental health. But one speaker that I would like to talk about um, just for a few moments is Anthony Ray Henson. His story is quite interesting as we continue to hear more appeals for an overhaul for what some would argue is our flawed criminal justice system. And as a matter of fact, you 
you spoke um, earlier about your 2021 speaker, Brian Stevenson, who I understand had a hand in helping him to secure his freedom. So take a moment to share a little bit about Mr. Henson and why you chose him as a speaker. So jumping ahead, he is the fifth speaker in our six-part series on Sunday, November 19th. And we purposely picked uh, just before Thanksgiving because I think Anthony Ray Hinton's story is one of, you know, he gives a lot of thanks. He's he's really an amazing person. And so, as I mentioned, we hosted Brian Stevenson in 2021. And Brian Stevenson was the attorney who argued before the Supreme Court when Anthony Ray Hinton found himself uh, being charged with um, two felony counts for the death of two fast food workers back in 1985. And Anthony Ray Hinton, if you've never heard him speak, he's done interviews with Oprah Winfrey, with Kelly Corrigan, and he is really an amazingly thoughtful and eloquent speaker about his 30-year experience on Alabama's death row. Um, He talks about what it felt like to know that he had not committed the crime and what he did to survive in solitary confinement um, for all of those years. He talks about friendship that he formed on death row. Um, He offers his insight about how he passed the time. And what's really amazing is that after being released from prison, after nearly 30 years in 2015, he talks about how he has been able to move forward. The title of his book is called The Sun Does Shine, How I Found Life and Freedom on Death Row. And the sun does shine is the first thing that he said when he was released from prison on that day in 2015. Um, I think we can all learn from his ability to forgive um, and how he has moved forward and is now a part of Brian Stevenson's organization, the Equal Justice Initiative, where he is a community educator. And so he will take the stage with us. Um, Purdue Northwest has, um, in the work of Nikki Jackson, one of our professors, she is very involved in the state of Indiana and working for, um, you know, those who are wrongfully convicted, and she'll be with us that day as well. So his story is inspiring. It's eye-opening. And Brian uh, Brian Stevenson, when he spoke to us in 2021, I won't forget that he said, the best way for us to advocate change is to get proximate or close to people and an opportunity to know Anthony Ray Hinton's story will bring light to all of us that there are people in our country who are and continue to be wrongfully convicted. So I think it's going to be a really amazing program again on Sunday, November 19th. Leslie, where will the Sinai Forum programs be held and are tickets still available for a listening audience? Yeah, so like I said, we have six programs, and Sinai Forum is sold as a series. So I would really encourage people to take a look at our website, which is housed in the Purdue Northwest um, website, sopnw.edu, and you can search Sinai Forum to look at our full lineup. Um, All six programs this year will be held at the Dworkin Center on the Westville campus. So a lot of times we hold a program at Blue Chip and we aren't doing that this year. Um, I would say the number one question I get asked is, can I buy a single program ticket? Can I, for example, we're closing our season with David Ross, the field manager for the Chicago Cubs. We are offering a single program ticket to that program. And we're offering a single program ticket to Mitch Daniels, our opening program. 
but the other four programs, and I want to just quickly share that's Jennifer Griffin and Benjamin Hall. They're both journalists with Fox News who are um, have covered the wars and conflicts around the world. And Benjamin Hall was um, gravely injured in March of 2022 in Ukraine. Dr. Bruce Perry, who is um, a very renowned uh, psychiatrist who looks at trauma and resilience in children. Peter Zion, who is a uh, geopolitical futurist who is very fun to listen to and challenges people. And then, as I said, David Ross closing the season on December 3rd. Um, we encourage people to take a look at our website. There are series tickets available and there are single program tickets available for, as I said, Mitch Daniels and David Ross. And the beauty of the Sinai Forum is that one of the parts of that of the mission is that to keep it affordable. And compared to other series around the country, our tickets really are quite affordable. Um, and there are tickets available. So um, we don't have very many patron tickets left. That's the ticket that allows people to attend the reception before the program with food and cash bar. Mm -hmm. There's just a few of those left, but we have quite a few regular series tickets, which allows you to attend each program. Um, that regular series ticket without the reception is $175 for all six programs. So it's really a good, uh, really a good price. And um, I want to re uh, remind people again that students, both high school and college students, can attend our programs free of charge with a valid student ID. They just need to go to our website and register. So they have to RSVP ahead of time so we can hold a seat for them. And um, I really do encourage people to check us out. It's, it's a great series this year with a lot of good content. We couldn't do what we do without the generous support of our sponsors, our donors, our grantors, and individuals who buy tickets and make donations to the forum. So I just want to say a huge shout out to everyone who sees value in what we do. Leslie, it has been a pleasure chatting with you today, discussing the 70th season of the Sinai Forum. And again, it sounds like it's going to be another outstanding season with this speaker series. Now, before I let you go, I just have to ask... So as we've mentioned, the Sinai Forum will kick off its 70th season Sunday, September 17th. And since its genesis, there have been over 300 notable speakers. Now, you mentioned Liz Murray as one of your favorite speakers. And I can't help but notice in our conversation that you have this uncanny ability to recall wonderful quotes from past speakers. But I'm going to put you on the spot right now, okay? If you could choose one, who is the most memorable speaker for you in the Sinai Forum Speaker Series? Um, I have a couple favorites. Uh, Platon, British photographer who has photographed most world leaders in the world, was just a very unique guy who had photographed everyone from Edward Snowden and Vladimir Putin to... Um, you know, military people um, who had come back from war, just a great storyteller and a very unique person. But I will say this, John Meacham spoke at Sinai Forum in, I want to say it was 2017. And John Meacham left us with a quote. Um, and it was, you know, he, he's a, a presidential historian and a political historian. And he said, when we fear more than we hope, that's when we get in trouble. And he, he kind of said to the audience, we have been here before. Mm. And, and I think part of what I learned in that program is that when we look at history, um, we have to zoom out and look at things over a long period of time. 
versus getting so closed in on what's going on today. And um, like I said, I, I think John Meacham's presentation was great. We often think of bringing people back to the forum for a second round or a third round. There are some people who have spoken mm-hmm. at the forum multiple times, and John Meacham would surely be one of them. So I don't know if that answers the question. I mm-hmm. enjoy most of them very much. Mm-hmm. Um, I learn something for sure in every single program. And as I said before, my very favorite thing is when um, people get excited about what they've learned. They talk to other people about what they learned. They read a book that they maybe wouldn't have read otherwise, because I really do believe that we need more of that in this world, just more understanding and less misunderstanding. Wow. And you know what, Leslie, that is a great way to end our conversation. I I thank you so much for being so generous with your time today, sharing all of the information about the upcoming 70th season of the Sinai Forum. Leslie Plezak is the executive director of Sinai Forum at Purdue University Northwest. Leslie, again, thank you so much for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Yeah, Dee, thank you so much for the opportunity. And I really encourage people to check out the season and we hope to see you in September as we kick it off with Mitch Daniels. Thanks, Dee. And that's it for Regionally Speaking for this week. Thanks to our guests from Purdue University Northwest Sinai Forum, Leslie Plezak, from Indiana Youth Institute, President and CEO Tammy Silverman, as well as Indiana's Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch. And we'll be back with you next week with an all-new show.